for just about everything for the outdoors. Go to MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com All right, I am blue. You are bright and shiny in my mind. You got me loving, hating, crazy indecision in my mind. Welcome to the Fall Podcast, where the focus is on deer hunting, tips, tricks, tactics, and stories from across the Midwest. And now, here is your host, Aaron Blisey. Welcome to the Fall Podcast. I am your host, Aaron Blasey, and this is episode number 72. And I am by myself today. I'm flying solo. Justin is not with me on this one. And uh, I thought it'd be a good opportunity to get a hold of Rob Schneider from Rattler Grips down in Texas. So I don't know if you guys have heard of Rattler Grips. What he does is he makes custom bow grips for basically any bow out there. You can get them engraved. You can get them with different logos on them. I mean, basically, whatever you want to do, he can do it. And he can do it in any type of antler, basically, or composite stuff, you know, like molds anything like that basically for just about any bow i don't know i don't know if he does stuff with the older bows like back you know in the 90s and stuff like that but i'm sure he probably can so um it's pretty cool i do actually have one of his grips from back in 2014 i had uh he made up a grip for me it was pretty cool i had my name engraved on it and and uh it was really cool it was it was custom made to me so and it was made out of whitetail antlers so that was pretty cool too but not only do we talk about rattler grips, we talk about hunting whitetails in Mexico. Now, he's been doing this the last couple years, and this was pretty cool. It's, it's a shorter podcast, but uh, we dive into how he hunts and how a lot of the people down there in Mexico hunt whitetails. So it's pretty cool. And, you know, it is different than what we do here in the Midwest and in the States, but it's cool to be able to see what he does and kind of put a spin on it for what we do like finding pinches and funnels like what he does is kind of the same thing but you just got to think a little more outside the box with it so it's really cool to see that side of it so i thought that was unique as well yeah it's a pretty cool podcast like i said it's a shorter one but uh it's uh it's really cool it's a it's a good listen so on the whitetail side of things for me i've got uh, all my stands hung everything's ready to go i mean if deer season was open tomorrow i could go hunt so I got all that done this last week, and uh, like I said, I like I like to get in and be out of the woods by August 1st with nothing else to do, so I do have a couple more things to do, and I'm going to get those done this weekend, and that's put out my box blinds. The, the, the wheat is finally off the field, so I can drive back there, put the box blinds in the waterways, and 
the uh, fence rows and don't have to ruin any crops or anything like that. But after that is done this weekend, it is no more on the farm. Batteries and cameras are all good to go. They're going to last the rest of the the rest of the summer and I'm just going to glass from a distance so that is my game plan but for me that's kind of where I'm at last thing is I'm just trying to get my bow dialed in I finally got my Garmin sight so that is top priority as well as try to get those done I'm building some arrows actually as we speak I just took a break from that building arrows I'm shooting like I said last podcast I'm shooting the Easton Axis 340s this year five millimeters i ended up going with 75 grains of brass on the front end to get my foc up and uh, my foc is up around 12 so that's pretty good I, that's kind of where i wanted to be so yeah i'm excited it's uh it's about a 470 grain arrow so i'm i'm excited about that i got my setups coming along now it's just got to get the bow dialed in the rest of the way with the garmin and uh, we'll be all ready to go for the fall So I guess with that being said, I'm going to stop rambling and boring you guys, and I'm going to jump over to that interview that I did with Rob. All right, on the phone with me today, I have Rob Schneider from Rattler Grips. Rob, how's it going, man? Doing good, doing good. Good deal. So you're uh, hailing from Texas right now, correct? That's correct. That's (laughs) correct. The Republic of Texas. (laughs) There you go. How's the weather down there right now? Pretty hot? Uh. It has been, but we had a little front push through, and actually yesterday morning it was 57 degrees where I'm currently at, and it felt like a October morning really had the juices flowing wanting to go hunt. <laughs> Got that itch. <laughs> yeah. Up here in the north, in, you know, in Michigan, the last, like, four days, the humidity is, like, really turned off, and at night it, it gets down, you know, at uh, low 70s maybe in the high 60s and it it gives you that october feel because you get off of the humidity so much and it's like you know it goes from 100 degrees to 70 it feels like it should be october so yeah it gives you the itch for sure man yeah here here in the right now i'm at a friend's house just north of san antonio and it's yeah it's drier air here compared to where i live on the coast throughout houston because we got the humidity Yep. I mean, you walk outside and you'll just drown because of the humidity. It's <laughs> unbearable at times. For sure. Well, you know, before we get too far, can you uh, introduce yourself, you know, after I just did it, but kind of, you know, tell me, you know, how Rattler Grips got started, where you, you know, where Rattler Grips is at, and a little bit about yourself. All right. Uh, well, born and raised in Texas, grew up hunting in Texas since I was five, and started bow hunting when I was 11, killed my first deer when I was 12 and with a bow and never really looked back after that. You know, I, I didn't hardly touch a gun much more after shooting that first one with the bow as yep. do most, most bow hunters. I, I get the same feeling I'm sure. And, you know, then to start rattler grips, you know, I'd made some, uh, for myself, my friend asked him for me to make him some. And I said, man, you make custom pull cues. You can do this. And he goes, I don't have the time. <laughs> and that was the that was the internet forum days and my handle on an internet forum i went by rattler because i used to play with rattlesnakes growing up and i would i sat there and and he's like please just make me some so i made him some well then he puts them up on the internet forum he said rattler made them for me so that's kind of how rattler grips got started okay and it was more of a hobby than anything and then with the job I had at the time was a union job and there was a possibility of a strike every three years. And 
and they always say, man, you need to, you need to have some money set aside in case the strike comes, this and that, blah, blah, blah. And so I, I started doing it more and more and I was just putting the money aside, putting the money aside. And lo and behold, one year we did have a strike and that's how I survived was off of that, off of that grip money. Oh, I got you. Okay. So, but yeah, that's, that's kind of how it started. And it's just, it took off and more so than I ever expected. <laughs> well, I ordered a rat or a grip from you. Oh gosh. What year was that? 2014 maybe. And I had at the time, um, I obviously don't shoot that bow anymore, but, uh, I had it made out of deer antler and I'll tell you what, it was the coolest grip. Everybody was asking me like, where'd you get that done? And you know, how'd you do that and stuff? Cause I had you do my signature on it. And then our mm-hmm. deer camp here in Michigan, I had that logo. So they turned out really good. And I'm actually looking at your website right now. And, um, I, I love your antler ones. Your antler grips yeah, that, are really sweet. That is by far the most popular grip. And I would have, it, it's my most expensive one just because number one, the cost of the antler and yep. number two, the wear and tear on saw blades and sanders. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, so that's why I have to price it the way I do. Um, but I, I would have never thought antler would have been as popular as it is. And I probably do, I would, it's almost the point where I do more antler than I do any other materials. No kidding. And so much, so much so that this year. Uh, I actually drove 13 hours to New Mexico and bought shed uh, this <laughs> spring just to have, just so I could have, you know, antler stock. Yep. So are you so, doing like, what types of antlers are you doing? Whitetail, elk, like all sorts of things, or do you um, just gravitate towards I, one? I like elk. Elk is probably the best medium. Um, axis, if you can find axis antler, they're good too, but they're, oh man, those people don't realize, but axis hardly has any marrow in the middle it is like a solid core really and yes it's so hard i mean it (laughs) it will eat up sanders like you wouldn't believe (laughs) and but you know it's a it's a hardy antler Mm -hmm. at the same time um but i try to mostly stick with elk i have done some out of moose i've done some out of whitetail you know the whitetail i like have to have a thicker piece i like or i should say i like to have a thicker piece because it gives me more more working room yep well, and I would think too on elk antlers, you could probably get more grips out of one side of an antler. Oh yeah, than, oh yeah, than, just because the sheer size of it. Yeah, yes. right. In the mass that they have that carries mm-hmm. out throughout their, you know, tines and all that stuff. So that's cool. Exactly. I would I would have never guessed, you know, that about, you know, the where you're talking about axis and the bone marrow. And, yeah, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. I would never guess that. Yeah. So how long have you been doing the rattler grip thing then? Um, I actually kind of started my stuff in august of 2008 and it really really i guess caught on in 2009 somewhat and i would say 2011 or 12 right in there it it really took off okay it it really just it's just like it got a boost of adrenaline Mm -hmm. per se and and it just it has increased every year that's it cool. used to be where I only had a busy time at the beginning of the year when everybody was getting the new bows. And then it's gotten to where I'll be busy. Or like last year, say, I was busy all the way up until like mid-May. And then uh, mid-May through the end of July really wasn't that busy. And then this year, it's been, I've had two weeks that really wasn't busy in June. Otherwise, it's been pretty busy throughout. That's cool. So I'm not... 
you know, as my wife says, it's like a bicycle. You want a bicycle, you got to pedal it. You know? <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> she goes, don't be complaining about the ride. <laughs> For sure. Well, now I, you offer a lot of different uh, types of grips as well, too, right? I mean, you've got like exotic oh, yeah. woods and um, I, uh, what's the I other? Is that like offer... a composite? Or what is that other stuff made out of, like your swirls and stuff? The swirls is a is an uh, there's several types of swirl material, and I usually buy all of that stuff uh, from vendors that get it from overseas. Okay. Because just due to EPA regulations here in the states, they cannot make those same type of products here. Gotcha. But they can they can once they're hardened, once that acrylic is hardened, it passes FDA. You know laws and all that and they can have it shipped over okay so it's just the making process i guess is not is not good for the atmosphere here per regulations or whatever yep um there's one acrylic that we can make and that is widely used and you see it when i make my uh when i make my wood what i call wood fusion is where i have stabilized wood mixed with a resin and that stuff is um what do they call it Kind of alum, aluminite or something like okay, that, aluminite, yep. and that that stuff does pretty good. But you've got to have you know the right equipment to to get it to set. You got to know your your setting times and all that, and it has to be done. You know, say in a pressure pot, you got to push all the air out of it. You got to have molds. So it's a it's kind of an expensive process to get set up. But once you get it set up, it's always there for sure. Now, how long? What does it normally take you from start? of an antler one, let's say, you know, to, to get it cut, grinded down, sanded holes made in it for, you know, the bow handle. And then like, how long does yeah. that whole process take on a, on an antler, depending on the model, um, of a bow, you know, just different sizes take different amounts of time. But yep. my, my number one seller in grips is probably Hoyt bows. Okay. Uh, right now. And not far behind it is, is Matthews, mm -hmm. especially with the new engage grip. But to, for for instance, to do a, a Hoyt, set of Hoyt grips from start to finish with antler, I've got it down, my process down to where I can do it in about 30 to 35 minutes. Oh, wow. Set. That's pretty quick. And compared to when I first started doing it, it was taking me over an hour to do a set. Okay. I got you. So I've, got, I've gotten the process down, you know, pretty good to where – and it's just been experimentation, buying different types of sanders, different types of saws, and it, finally I've got it worked out to where what I think is a, a good formula, and I can push them out quick. That's sweet, man. And I see you do make uh, like bow limb graphics as well. Is that true? No, I, I don't do the limb graphics. Oh, okay. But, but I can like I can do emblem pieces on bows. Emblem pieces. Yep. Okay. Like like I, what's on a riser or something. Yeah, I can do those, and um, this just this year I bought my own laser engraver, so I can put in, you know, I can I can do my own laser engraving now. Nice. So that's sweet, man. You know, when you and I were talking through social media and, and text and stuff like that, you were you you brought up that you're going to be hunting, you know, some uh, some Mexico whitetails this upcoming year, and that yeah. intrigued me. So I mean. I want to segue into to talking about the Mexico whitetails and how the hunting is down there and what made you want to go down there and do it. Okay. Well, what made me want to go down there is my wife is from Mexico. Okay. And uh, everybody, 
or people in the industry that have met her, they know her as Mama Sita. So that's, <laughs> okay. how I, that's how I introduce her. All right. And, um, but anyway, no, she's from down there and her uncle owns a ranch kind of in between, it's not too far outside of Monterey, but it's at the base of a mountain. Oh, really? And, okay. And through translation, I asked him, does anybody hunt it? And he goes, oh no, nobody hunts it. Nobody's ever hunted out here that I know of. And he goes, I think about six ranches down the road, he goes, I think they do some hunting because I hear gunshots way off in the distance during hunting season. And I said, well, can I hunt it? And he goes, oh, yeah, not a problem, not a problem. I said, you know, how do you, how do you go about getting tags? And he's like, well, I don't know. Well, it just so happens that one of my wife's childhood friends, her husband is a hunter, and told me the process of how to get the tags. And there's, there's various ways a lot of ranches get issued tags, much, I mean, kind of like a ranch, say, in, in New Mexico get so many elk tags or whatever, and then they can turn around and sell them. Yeah. And that's, that's the same. It's kind of the same concept down there. And you just have to find the people that want to sell you the tag. Now, most, most tags sell anywhere from a hundred U S dollars to 150 U S dollars down. There. Oh, that's not bad then. It's not, it's not bad, but I have actually found the guy in, in that town that will sell them to me for 60 bucks. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> so so now what's so, yeah, the, the what's the game laws like what how many animals or how many whitetails can you the, take is there a certain amount however however many tags you have oh okay so you can shoot an unlimited amount if you want you just got to buy all the tags and as long as you as long as you had the tags gotcha but like where i'm at you know the area was not known for having big whitetails I, and i knew that going into it, i just thought it'd be fun hunting at two thousand feet of elevation and and it it feels like I'm hunting out west because of the because of the mountain right there and everything yep. else, but it's just straight up hunting whitetail. And I sat there and and it, it, just like Texas, a lot of people hunt over feeders. Well, you can bait down there, so I set up a feeder and started baiting. And the first time I went and sat was January second of 2018, and it was 28 degrees that morning there. Wow! And or it was actually that afternoon. It was 28 degrees, and it, it was First time they'd seen snow in the area, and I can't remember how many years they were saying. Deer were probably but, running like crazy. <laughs> well, the thing is, is on my the first time I checked my camera, I only had does on it. I only had I could tell there was two or three fawns and like two does. I didn't have many deer, and I just said, well, you know, it's gonna be fun just to go out. You know, I haven't because I actually set up that feeder the opening day of season, and I hadn't touched it in a month. Well. I sit there and the feeder had gone off and I see ant I'm sitting in a ground pop up ground blind and I see antlers and I said, Oh, that that buck doesn't look like it's that big. He looks like he could possibly be a grower. And then the buck walked out and I saw the body size on him. I said, This deer's gotta be six and a half years old. Wow. It's had a huge body on him. And real wary, he did not want to come into that feeder. He walked around, he sniffed. I mean, acting like a, a true mature deer. And he stopped broadside and at 18 yards and gave me a shot opportunity and I shot him and got him. And I checked my camera. He was the only buck I had on camera, uh, out of six different deer. Wow. Well, then here comes this last year and I have, I start, I guess I'm bringing in deer from other ranches cause nobody hunts around there. Mm-hmm. I end up getting 30 different deer on camera and 15 different bucks. Wow. It's just and, crazy and, how putting a feeder there like that just can attract. And them. just feeding. Yeah. yeah. And just feeding them. Yeah. It, it's, 
it's it's amazing just seeing it bring in. Like I had a buck, I hunted last year. I hunted for him a couple of times till I rolled my ankle really well, but I only had night pictures of him on camera, and he's 13 points. He's not real wide, but his beans are probably 28 inches long. They Holy go out past cow. his nose, and they drop down like drop times. That's awesome. And, and he has kickers off of each G2. He has a sticker coming off the base. He's probably a mid-150s deer, and but for an area that's not known for having big deer, it, it was it was a testament to what age will do. You know, if you let them get up in age, they will get big. For sure. So, I mean, if you had to guess, how many locals around there are hunting like that for whitetails? So, in that area, I don't think there's a lot, but the town my wife is from, you would be amazed how many people hunt. So, it's, are they hunting with bows, guns, or does it matter? It, you, you know, I'm, I'm seeing a good mix of it, but to own a gun there, it, there's a lot of paperwork mm-hmm. that's involved and it, and strict laws with guns. So I don't even cross with a gun. I just bring a bow. And the only thing about bringing a bow across is have your points, even field points, unscrewed from arrows. Really? Yeah, because they will confiscate it otherwise. They consider that like a loaded gun. Okay. I can see that. So that's the only... And that's the only law I've, I've heard of to do, and I've done it, and I've never been questioned. I've been stopped at the border to have vehicle inspection. They see the boat. They don't ever ask any questions about it. So hmm. Now, what are the, are there any laws taking, you know, meat and animals back into Texas from, you know, Mexico going across the border? As, as long, well, I've heard mixed on it now. So I had my buck. I had him skull mounted at the local taxidermist okay and i and i gave the meat from that buck to my wife's uncle for letting me hunt yep and everything um but i I, my buddy that goes into sonora all the time uh hunting coos deer he says you gotta you gotta have somebody pick all the ticks off the cape and you gotta have it frozen really to bring it back now whether or not that's true with coming in through texas i don't know I have I have no idea okay. on that. I have, because when I brought my buck back across, I just had to have the tag on the antlers, and it was just a skull. It was a skull mount. Yep. Okay. I got so, you. So, is there a lot of is there any trees down there? I guess you could say to put like a stand in, or is it all ground blind? Uh, if you have creeks running through your place, the low areas, you'll yep. see a lot of pecan trees in those, and some scrub oak. Yeah. Uh, most of the time, it's just low brush, kind of like South Texas is. Yep. Um, you know, you get, of course, you get up into the mountainous areas, you get the cedars and stuff like that. It, the mountainous area looks, if anybody's been to New Mexico, it looks very similar to New Mexico, except I think it's just a little bit warmer because it's further south. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, and so, the, so tree sand hunting is basically out of the question. Now, you're hunting them out of a ground blind. Do you ever put any tripod stands up or anything, or is that an option? Man, if you had a sh- where I'm at, if you had a short tripod, <laughs> I mean, I looked at it. I, that's one of the first things I said. Well, I wonder if I could do a tripod because that'd be easy to move in. Yep. And I said, no. I said I'm gonna have to do nothing but ground blinds. Yep. So and I leave my ground blinds set up year round. Okay. Just so, just so they're used to seeing it. Yep. Because I leave a window open, leave that black hole, so they're just used to seeing everything. So. You know, up here in the Midwest, and especially like Texas and, you know, in the U.S., you know, you can kind of 
pinpoint where deer and bucks are bedding and feeding and everything. How do you do that down there? Like, where are they bedding at? You know, what are they looking to live in? Like, are they trying to get away from people or, you know, how does that scenario play out? And, yeah. what, you know, is it is it hard to pattern them? Um, at first, the first year I didn't get a whole lot of time to really try to pattern them. But this last year I did. And it looks from what it, and it's been similar to other places I've been on in Texas, the low areas that have some of the thicker brush, uh, where the, where the little dry creek beds are and stuff, whenever it does rain and water flows through there, of course, it holds the water the longest. Yep. I've seen a lot of deer come up out of those low areas. So I just, I just try to hunt close to the edges of those low areas. That's where I have all my blinds positioned. Okay, so you're you're looking for an edge of some sort then, just like you would be in the Midwest or anything. And, I mean, you're always looking for an edge. Yeah, and believe it or not, where I'm at in Mexico, it is so thick that spotting and stalking is out of the question. No kidding. It is, it's, it's too thick to even do that. In fact, I had trouble finding a second. I have two stands, two ground blinds with feeders. I had trouble finding a second blind spot because it was just so thick yeah and i got i got an area and if i didn't have a feeder there i could shoot 40 yards but because i have a feeder it blocks that hole to shoot so i'm only shooting 20 yards because that's basically all i can see Mm -hmm. so when you're sitting there deer like right on top of you when they pop out and you finally see them exactly exactly they i mean i have on one on one blind one of the main trails that i had to get put the blind in a bush where the wind would be right and everything else. But yet the, those deer come out probably five yards from the blind. Wow. I mean, they literally walk right by the blind. And so do they care about the blind like they would here, like in the Midwest? I mean, if you put out a blind and don't really brush it in or you kind of half-ass brush it in, like they're going to be leery about it. I mean, yeah. down there, is it same thing? Yeah, yeah, you kind of got to brush them in, but my brush is, of course, long gone now. By these right. Things, but the, but I think they, they're used to seeing it there now, and it, it doesn't bother them. Okay. That's crazy. That's just a whole it's, different world down there, man. It is. It's it's totally different. So there, they, I, I feel like I'm hunting out west, but hunting whitetails. <laughs> That's got to be kind of cool, though. It is. It is. I, I had, I've killed a lot of whitetails with the bow. And I'm not saying I'm better than anybody by doing it, but I killed so many and I killed a good buck with my bow. I had kind of lost interest in actually hunting whitetails. Mm-hmm. And I, that was why my drive for going out west was so big. I love going out west. To me, there's nothing that beats it. But this hunting down there has got my my interest peaked with whitetails again just because I'm finding it more of a challenge down there yep. than anywhere else. So when you're looking for a spot to put you know, a possible ground blind or a feeder, you know, you're, you said you're looking kind of for an edge and, you know, obviously you're still going to be playing the wind, right? I mean, you are hunting whitetails. You are still trying to yeah. look at it from above yeah. probably and just figure out, you know, where you think these deers are, deer, I said deers, where these deer are coming from and where they're going to be potentially going. So are you, you know, with the feeder, and this could be a very stupid question, but I mean, you're just trying to draw them to a certain area, obviously with the feeder, but are you Mm -hmm. trying to put the feeder in an area where you think they're, you know, coming from bed to another food source? I mean, is there any other food sources out there? That's, that's just, that's just it. There's not much food source out there. I mean, just whatever nutrients they're getting out of the brush. So, uh, 
some people know like mesquite beans are, are a huge source of protein, but her uncle's ranch is a mile and a half off the hardtop down a real rough road. Okay. And when you get about a quarter of a mile off of that hardtop, it's like the mesquite brush just stops. Really? Like it's like it's just non-existent there anymore, and it's just nothing but brush. So, what they're actually getting to eat, far as nutrients, I don't know. I really don't. And where the first area is when her uncle pointed out to me because he said he always saw the deer walking through there in the morning, whenever he because he's a goat farmer, so he has goats everywhere. Okay. And so he's like, I'd always see you know see the deer walking through this one area, and I think it's more or less because it was pretty open. That's why he was always seeing them because there's a, a greater chance to see them. But it turns out that it, it is actually a pretty good area, and I just think it's a travel corridor for them and stuff. And what also helps is the property next to it, their fence line just abruptly ends, and there's no connecting fence line right there. <laughs> so those deer, rather than jumping over a fence, have this corner they can walk around. Well, you put a feeder anywhere near that, I'm sure that's kind of like a, a funnel point for them, yep. and they're going to hit it. So you just kind of got to look for a little more out-of-the-box, unique ways, mm-hmm. you know, but still kind of relate it to what you might do in the Midwest, like you said, with the fence. And, you know, we've, we've you know, strung up a lot of fence for deer to cross in a certain area by your stand, you know, and, and mm-hmm. they'll use that. So I could see where you'd have to really think outside the box and get unique with it. Yeah. And, like, my second location where I was really focusing on that area is, is I'm right next to that, uh, up there they call it an arroyo, you know, this yep. little creek. But I'm I'm right next to that, but it just seemed like it was a heavily traveled area and that there seemed to be lots of scrapes and rubs up on the outside edge of this. So that's where I tried to focus on that area because I knew, you know, that could probably be my best bet. And actually when setting up my trail camera there for the first time, I was breaking off branches off of, you know, off a little brush. And that is like a, another buck thought that that was a buck making a scrape in his area. He came running up looking at me at 40 yards. Wow. So. That's crazy. You know, I hunted or I filmed a couple hunts in Texas. I've been on the east side, the west side, south. I've been to Sonora, um, you know, in the hills uh, on the west side. And we've went out and rattled, you know, just on the ground with a bow, mm-hmm. just rattling deer up. And, man, it is unbelievable the amount of bucks that will come. They'll they'll run you over. Like you actually mm-hmm. have to watch your back because they will come in full tilt and they don't care and they're just find trying to find that fight. It is it's unbelievable. So I, I totally understand what you're saying when those deer are coming out out of every yeah. crevice. You know. Oh yeah, and going as far as rattling, I think rattling would work really well here. For some reason, the buck doe ratio seems to be really good at this place. Okay. And which is kind of crazy because usually in a place that hasn't been managed, you you get way more does than you do bucks. But this seems to be pretty level, and and I'm I'm pretty shocked by it. But in my experience with rattling, I've always had the best success when the buck doe ratio has been, you know, two does to one buck. Yep. Per se, and you know something low, nothing you know, super high for sure. But yeah, I mean, I, I've thought about rattling down there, but man, rattling and bow hunting, that's hard to do. It's <laughs> tough, man. You got to find the right buck. Especially when the, you're out of the a right blind. mood. Yeah. 
you know, you got to find that right buck in the right mood, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, and he might be in the mood today, but tomorrow when you rattle again, he might not be in the right mood. Exactly. You know, it's, exactly. It, it's so fidgety. It is crazy, but, you know, what kind of uh, predators are down there for, you know, whitetails and stuff like that? Is there any? So there's bobcats and there's coyotes down there. I've seen both. I've even seen fox. I've got fox on camera. Okay. And being where, being where this is at, like I told you, it's at a base of a mountain, and it looks, you know, like I said, like New Mexico. And my wife's uncle has goats, and you hear nothing but, man, man, man. <laughs> you would think it would, it would scream a smorgasbord for a uh, mountain lion, yep. you know. And he says, there's no pumas around it. That's what he told me, no pumas, no pumas. And I'm, I just, I can't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> I just can't believe it. Oh. I don't see how there's not any, but he he says he never loses any goats to him. Huh, that's crazy. Now, it's not a predator to uh, to whitetails or anything like, like that, but I hate snakes. So what is your snake situation down there? And you're probably pretty used to it because of being in Texas and everything. So what is yeah. what is your snake so, situation? Uh, our uncle says there are rattlesnakes there, of course. I'm not on the place all the time, so I've never seen one down there. However, I was I was sitting in the blind this year hunting, and <laughs> I looked down between my legs. No, and and I see I see red, black, and yellow. Oh. And my first thought was coral snake, but then I looked at it closer, and it was a king snake. Oh my so, gosh, dude! And it, it and it just didn't pay me any attention. It just went between my legs and just no. kept going out the blind. <laughs> not me, man. I would I would have snake boots up to my waist on i hate snakes i hate them <laughs> well i wear snake boots whenever it's warm out there for sure yep and and just just for protection and that's just for me growing up on a farm and everything else and dealing with the cotton mouth yep and stuff but you know i i haven't not yet knock on wood i haven't ran into a rattlesnake oh so. man uh or there <laughs> not too long ago we had i had like a two foot gardener snake. I mean, harmless snake. And, um, I, my wife and I, we live by some woods and everything and the grass is real high in the ditches and stuff like that. So snakes, I'm, we've seen snakes over the last couple of years. Well, it's on our driveway and it's, it's going into our garage because our garage door was open. And I'm like, Nope, I go out there to try to get it out of the garage. I, was standing on all my toolboxes trying to get it out of the and I'm like I was a sissy. I will I will tell you, <laughs> dude, I don't like snakes at all. But spiders like they don't bother me unless they get about as big as my hand. That's when they start bothering me, but uh snakes, nope. Can't do it. <laughs> yeah, that, I was speaking of spiders. I just went axis hunting out in Junction out west uh with one of my buddies and I sat in a blind one evening and while I was sitting in that blind, that thing was just, there must have been thousands upon thousands of oh. daddy long legs in there. <laughs> and those suckers started dropping on me and stuff like that. So I was just rushing them off. I, I knew they were harmless. Yep. But because of mosquitoes, I sat there and turned on that thermocell. Yep. And let me tell you, that pushed those darn spiders out of that blind. Really? By the time the end of the hunt came, there wasn't a spider one in that blind. A good tip. I could, I could not believe it. That pushed. <laughs> I, I'd never, of course, I'd never had that many spiders in a blind before. For sure. Yeah. I sent a sent a little video to my wife, and she's like, "Oh hell no!" <laughs> <laughs> my wife would have said the same thing. 
because how I feel about snakes, that's how she feels about spiders. She won't touch them. And mm-hmm. So, but uh, what do you do? Oh. Yep, yep. Well, cool, man. I, you know, I'm gonna wrap this up here. I want to be, you know, conscious of your time and everything, and want to say thank you for coming on and doing this. And uh, not a problem. You know, if anybody wants to reach out to you to get like any grips made or you know anything like that, where can you tell them to go? I just say go to my website. It has my email and my phone number. Um, my email is probably the best way to get in touch with me. I check it several times a day. Okay. And everything, and I can answer, and I can also send pictures faster via that way. Awesome. Everything. But, yeah, hopefully we can do this again when I get my other two new products coming out. For sure. So. Yeah, I, I want to do that, and I want to I want to loop back after you kill a giant in Mexico and, and kind of talk about that hunt as well. So maybe oh, – uh, I hope so. I'm playing. <laughs> Maybe wintertime we'll, we'll we'll do another one here. Yeah, definitely. So, Well, cool, man. I appreciate it again, Rob. Thank you for very much for coming on and doing this. And uh, have, a, have a good rest of your weekend, man. All right, brother. Sounds good. Good talking with you. Yeah, you too. to go like just full-blown redneck on these fish. This is like high-tech cane pole fishing right here. From the white sandy beaches to the crystal blue waters, enjoy the best fishing Panama City Beach has to offer during Chase in the Sun, Sundays at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Through the Blackwater bayous and in the dark Louisiana night, floats a duck camp, alive with the sounds of swamp pop, and the smells of Cajun cooking. From the Mississippi Delta in Venice to the Cajun prairies of the Southwest, me and the Duck Camp Dinners crew will be hunting and eating it all. This is Duck Camp Dinner. Join me, Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois, and the whole crew every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.